Cash, your host of The Cell. I invite you to listen to our program every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. I would also like to thank you for listening to Community Radio on WGRN LP 94.1 FM, Columbus. I'd like to welcome all of our listeners back. This is Felice, your host, and we have a very special friend uh, here this evening. And I know I say that each guest is special, but me and Kim go back quite a few years uh, <laughs> with our partnership with OSU, the Sickle Cell Hematology Department. And so i like to introduce to you Kimberly Simpson, who is a social worker for the James B9 Hematology Sickle Cell Unit. But before we get started, I have to say hello to my co-host. Hello, Stephanie. Hello, everybody. Welcome, Kim, to the show. Thank you for coming. Oh, thank you. Hello, Ernie. Hello. Hello, Kim. Thanks for coming. Thank yeah. you. Appreciate so, it. Kim, could you please share with our listeners how you came about working in this position and what it is that you do? Well, I um, started in 2018 on the inpatient benign hematology team at the James, and my primary role on the inpatient team was discharge planning, um, looking for resources for people, um, emotional support, and like a lot of it was transportation, <laughs> helping with transportation to get people home. And then I did that for about a year and a half, and then I decided I wanted to try the outpatient world um, because I felt like I could establish better relationships with patients um, and have more time with them and reach them uh, when they're not like in so much pain and so uncomfortable that they really didn't want to talk. So when the opportunity arose to go to OSU East, I went over there and at first it was really challenging because a week after I um, was over there, COVID hit. And so then we became this Zoom world. In some ways that was helpful because a lot of patients, especially the under 30 crowd, really preferred Zoom appointments rather than, you know, in person although they do have to come a certain number of times per year in person in order to follow their care plans. So that was challenging and at the same time pretty exciting because I was not a very techno-savvy kind of person, and this really forced me to be a little more involved. A lot of the patients are very knowledgeable about technology, so it worked out pretty well. The head of the hematology department at that time really wanted that role to be more of a healthcare worker, so I became, I got credentialed to do home visits, and um, although not many people want the home visit, we do have a, a, a home visiting doctor on our team, and so they are familiar with home visits, and I have had a couple of people let me come to their home, and the the people who need home visits or meet criteria for home visits are generally those who are homebound, those who maybe um, it's not safe for them to go out and drive, or there are things that they need, they don't have internet access, so I can go and bring my laptop to their home and look up resources for them. I can pick up documents if they're applying for something like Medicaid or Project Mainstream. Um, I met a patient at a vocational training program once to kind of 
introduce her to the staff and make it sort of a warm handoff. So it's that kind of thing that I really like. And lately, another development in my role has been to do counseling with patients. We used to have a clinical therapist from Talbot, and she moved on. And when she left, she suggested to the head of hematology, why aren't you using Kim? She's a licensed independent social worker. She can do counseling. Why don't you just use her? And so they asked me if I'd be willing to do that. And so I I only have two patients right now that are seeing me, um, and I can see them in person or I can see them through telehealth and hoping that that's going to grow more because I really enjoy that. I really enjoy the the challenge of uh, dealing with like the, the dynamics that come with disease, you know, the psychosocial aspect of the disease, the spiritual aspect of the, the disease. I love mental health. That's my first love. So for me to be able to have that be part of my job has been very exciting. I've been reading more about mental health with African-Americans in particular, because there's so much racial disparity in our healthcare system. And there's a really good book that I've been referring my patients to, whether or not they are doing therapy, just, hey, you should take a look at this book for your mental health. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping that that continues to grow because that is an important part of healing. Um, I would love to be able to do a like a support group of some kind, if I can generate enough interest. And with specifically looking at alternative pain, um, using mind-body techniques, which there's been a lot of research on. I'm not trained in mind-body, but I can certainly do, you know, like cognitive behavioral focus on pain management. And the more practical day-to-day stuff, you know, on any given day, I do a lot of transportation. <laughs> um, I, all of us, all of us social workers in every department, not just my department, but we all just feel like um, overqualified transportation brokers. Like there really needs to be like someone who just does transportation all day long. That's it, you know, because I spend so much time arranging transportation. And luckily with the generous donation of the Faith Thomas Foundation, we, we do have access to yellow cab and that has been a lifesaver um on so many different occasions for you know my patients even if they have medicaid funded transportation which most of them do there are times when they cannot use that because they're in pain they need to get to the icc right now and you can't get medicaid to approve same day transportation no matter what unless they're coming home from the hospital and so that has really opened up some doors. And they're not allowed to drive when they go to the ICC. Even if they have a car, they're not allowed to drive because they're going to be given pain meds. And then sometimes their loved ones are working, so they can't drive them either. And when you say that you're a social worker and you, you're using your skill sets and you're happy that you're doing that, is that how you've been able to control me all this time? You've been using your skill sets on me? <laughs> <laughs> handle me? Yes. <laughs> Keep talking. I'm diagnosing you. Yeah, I'm the girl. Wait a second, girl. You died. You started diagnosing me in 2018. Don't be acting like you just getting started. No wonder she can handle me. Um, Ernie, do you have a question for Kim? Uh, yeah, I have a couple of questions. 
and I just want to thank thank Kim for the work that she do. Um, I know it's 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 good work. You don't always get you know all the 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 recognition for it, but do appreciate it. I guess my first question was, uh, why did you decide to go into social work? It was a, a particular incident, or it was something that you've always wanted to do. Well, I think I was born a social worker. I was always the the kid who was the caretaker of the family. And, um, you know, I once asked my mom what she thought I should be, and she said, I think you should be a marriage therapist. I'm like, Ooh, what does that say about your marriage, Mom? Um, but, you know, I do think a lot of our, our – we fall into these roles, and then I think – when I was in college, I, I changed my major so many times. I did not know what I wanted to do. And um, I finally end, I finally landed on psychology for my bachelor's degree because I, had, I, I needed to graduate. And then with a, a degree in psychology, there's not a lot you can do with just that bachelor's degree. So I went on for the master's degree in social work and very grateful that I did because it has allowed me to work with a lot of different populations. Like I said, mental health is my number one love, but I always wanted to work in a hospital setting. And so when I had the opportunity to um, work at Ohio Health, I went to Ohio Health and worked hospice for a while before I came to OSU. So I think I really fell into that role. And then um, I ran out of options and had to graduate. And then like, well, what am I going to do now? I, I got to get a master's degree in something that's going to get me a job. I knew I wasn't, I knew I didn't have the, <laughs> the, the funds or the willpower to do a PhD program or become a psychologist. So, you know, for a two-year master's program, it's paid off. And it's just, there's so much you can do with it. There's so much variety. And I would like to be able to do more of the counseling and more of the in-depth work with patients, um, which means I can go deeper um, mm. and I can get to know my patients better than like my oncology peers. Um, a lot of them are, they're just so busy. Well, let me ask you this. Why do they call that the benign hematology inpatient team? I've never heard that term before. Well, the benign, hem benign hematology is, even though it's non-cancerous blood disorders, they are part of the James and being part of the James to distinguish them from cancer patients, they are the benign hematology. So it can be, um, it's all the anemia, thrombocytopenia, sickle cell anemia. It's all the, the blood disorders that don't fall under the category of cancer. We have heard that from sickle cell patients throughout, throughout Columbus and, and the country about you know, how they're stigmatized, uh, mm -hmm. just unfortunate. Uh, they tell us about their experiences uh, when they go into the emergency rooms and and just thank God now that they can bypass that at OSU. But, but they used to tell us about the experiences they had at OSU, not just OSU, but, but emergency rooms throughout the country as a right. sickle cell patient. And I don't know what the thinking is behind that, but it really – We've really, our team is very protective of our patients and we will advocate for them that it's a small population. It's only a small percentage of people that ask for pain meds when they don't need them. Drug seeking per se, you know what I mean? It's a small population. Right. Thank you.
I just would like to know, I know you discussed some of the racial disparities that you've experienced in the men medical and in the mental health field. And I just wanted to see if you could maybe share with us what is, I say, the most, the biggest disparities that you've experienced. Like, what are those specifically for the Black population? And what can they do? Or what are some resources that, who can they reach out to get in touch with you or or those resources to help them? Well, I think since the the Black Lives Matter movement, at least at OSU, there um, there is a ton, a ton of trainings for staff. There's bigger and deeper awareness of implicit bias and things that I take for granted as a white person. You know, one of my patients shared with me a couple of years ago that whenever she would go to her favorite um, bookstore, she would see the the staff like watching her. And she knew it was because she was a person of color. She you know, she knew that they were watching her because they thought she was going to steal. And I've never heard that young young black boys being told, always get a bag, always ask for a bag, never walk out of a store without a bag because someone will think you stole something. Right. That's that's not something I've ever encountered in my, I've never heard that. Um, so like little day-to-day, not little, but day-to-day things that people of color go through that I am so aware now of white privilege. It just smacks me in the face every day. And the, the patients that one of the things I think that's been very helpful too, even in the field of mental health, like psychology today has a website um, and you can search for African-American therapists or, you know, because maybe that's, that's important to some, it's not important to all of them, but to, to a lot of them, it is like, yes, I want someone who can relate to me, my culture, my, my struggles as a black person um, in the world. And, you know, I have coworkers who I often I wonder how is this affecting you? You have a young son, and you have to be worried every time your son goes out. Like if it gets pulled over, is it going to end up with death? I mean that's crazy, but it happens. It's happening. So I think more of a I can speak more from the societal level than the medical. I don't have any specific examples like with my patients. Excuse me for a minute. We need to take an identification break. Hi, this is Ernest Kelly with the Faith Thomas Foundation. You're listening to The Cell on 94.1 FM, WGRN, and WGRN.org worldwide. Listen to us every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt enough representation for patients, like specifically with sickle cell patients um, in the, the healthcare industry, essentially, if you feel like that's something that there's like, we ha- people have to focus more on efforts in, you know, finding providers that, you know, or social workers mm-hmm. look like them and, and represent right. them. Do you think that's something that we have to continue to work on or is it pretty like level field? Oh, I know. It's definitely, um, we definitely need more professionals of color. I mean, if you took a handful of, if you walked on any floor of the James and you just said, okay, let's everybody who's a staff member come and stand out here, they're going to be mostly white. Right. Kim, you said that you recommend a book for some of your um, patients to read. Do you happen to have the name of that book? 
that you can share with our listeners? Yes. Um, black mental health, getting the, getting the treatment you need in a racially biased system. I can't remember the author, but I can email it to you. I'm like, the name is escaping me. Well, I think if you call that off the top of your head, you did a great job. You also talked about if you had an opportunity to do a support group, how would you think that you would go about that? Well, I would, I would definitely enlist the help of maybe a chaplain. Um, we have a chaplain at East who has connected very well with patients. She herself is African-American, but she ha- uh, very often has a lot of residents with her. And mm-hmm. I think it would be awesome if there was like a resident or someone who was learning who would be ideal if they were of color and maybe male so that we would be, we have male-female representation. It wouldn't just be this white social worker providing support, you know. Um, it would be ideal if it was more of a peer group, just with me being a facilitator, not a leader, um, because they know best, you know, they know best what they need. Um, I think I would, I would feel more comfortable if I was just a, a, here, I'm, I'm making this happen. Here's the space. Here I am to, to maybe have it be ordered, you know, like, okay, wait, it's not your turn to talk or that kind of thing. Not, you know, but let them guide, be the guide, you know, like what's your subject tonight? What do you guys want to talk? I, I know that with COVID and everything, support groups have fallen and, there's some stuff on Facebook, excuse me, but I do have I do have a couple of patients who have expressed interest and I I would really love to see it happen. The the chaplain that you're talking about is Margie Chapman and I think her it might be Chapman Nesbeth. Yeah, she has um been quite involved uh with sickle cell and she did open up our prayer uh for our dinner at our previous Red Diamond Gala last year. And I oh, guess okay. I do know that she does help um you know, do counseling and stuff like that. Because right. I was going to ask, recommend that maybe you could also talk to her in regards mm-hmm. to uh, when you said that you started getting into counseling or started doing it. Mm-hmm. And just to be speaking with her to kind of like possibly partner up or team up on some things, mm-hmm. you know, and that might help open the door right. more for you to branch out. And Okay. Ernie, do you have another question for us? Yes. Uh, I noticed you mentioned that you're part of an inpatient team. Do you guys like meet every morning and and then and discuss strategy um, or individual patients um, about you know how they're coming along uh, or something in that in that area? Yes, the inpatient team they round every morning um, with the attending or the resident, whoever is on service. Sometimes it's an MD, sometimes it's a resident, and sometimes it's a, a fellow. And then there's usually three or two to three and sometimes four nurse practitioners, depending on how many patients are on, you know, on the service. And um, they meet every morning and it's usually around 10 o'clock. Every Monday, the outpatient team, along with the ICC, we have what's called sickle cell census. And we talk about the patients from the previous week. And then right after that meeting ends, we join the inpatient team and talk about, you know, inpatient what's going on. But the inpatient is a daily thing in the outpatient world. It's um, a weekly meeting. But the inpatient and outpatient nurse practitioners really communicate well on on an almost daily basis of what's going on with a patient. They also have partnered with the emergency doc to make sure that the patient's pain plans are followed. 
So they're in the ED and it's known that they are a sickle cell patient, then they should be looking in the chart for their pain plan, um, which I think that's a real challenge because, you know, they the, the ED doc might be might not really agree that they need whatever the pain plan says. May feel like, no, I think you're good or whatever. And so that's always that's always interesting. Kim, is there someone with your skill set that's there like on weekends and and holidays mm-hmm. this patient is needed? I mean, if, if a patient requests that? Yes, we have social work 24-7 every day of the week. Oh, that, that's what 24-7 Yeah. Wow. Um, we have the the normal normal shifts. We have 8 to 4.30, 8 to 5 kind of shifts. And then we have social workers that work 12-hour shifts. And then um, we have uh, what we call IRP. They, they work when they're needed. And then the weekends, there's usually three or four social workers on covering the whole house on the weekends. So, so you guys get together, say, like when you come in to work, you get together with the, with the social worker that was there at night. Mm-hmm. And you guys discuss what went on and, oh, okay. Yeah, we have a handoff in the computer too. That. Yeah. Like today I worked and a patient needed, they needed a lift. They needed uh, a, a ride home and they were going to not be going home till six o'clock tonight. And so... I was able to reach out to the social worker who was working 12 hours and I said, hey, I have a patient who needs a lift ordered for him around six. Can you take care of it? And of course she could. And um, then I just let the team know you need to call the on-call social worker and they'll get then they'll get the patient home. So I never have to stay. It's a rare day that I would have to stay until like six or seven o'clock at night. That would be very unusual. So I we are very well supported with each other which I really, really like that. So nobody burns well, out. That's some good information. I had, I, I never thought of that. Yeah, I guess that, I, it, it makes sense. I mean, if the person is there and uh, if you need them, yeah. Mm-hmm. But thank okay. you so much for sharing your story, Kim, and being on the oh, show. Oh, sure. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Uh, could you share with our listeners real quick, Kim, about some of the things that the Faith Thomas Foundation does for um the sickle cell patients at OSU? So in the um, inpatient world, we have um, hair products and hair coverings um, because the products that the hospital was providing aren't necessarily good for black hair. Um, They don't provide enough moisture. Um, So a couple of years ago, Felice and the social worker at the time, Sequina, decided to put together these kits and we just got another grouping of kits and the inpatient team really, really values those and the patients really love those because it shows that, hey, we, we care about your your hair and your <laughs> skin and, you know, we recognize that. And the thing is, those products have to go through like all kinds of layers of administration. They had to, the, it was like, a big deal so that when police had to go order them again, it had to be the exact same product. You know, it had to, it had to pass the, the hospital standards and guidelines and all that. Um, and then the other uh, lift or not lift, but yellow cab, the yellow cab account, um, we have a set number of dollars for this account. And all I have to do is call yellow cab, give the account number, give the, password 
and I can get transportation set up. And it can be on-the-spot transportation or it can be, I need this in a week. And that has really been one of the best, the benefit, the biggest benefits of the Faith Thomas Foundation. Also, um, we this year we got Kroger cards. A lot of patients are struggling right now with, you know, food and fuel. And with a Kroger card, you can use it for both. And also, like today, a patient came in, didn't realize that his prescriptions weren't going to be ready. Um, he didn't have much gas, and he was going to have to come back tomorrow to pick up his prescriptions. And the nurse called me, and I wasn't on site. And the nurse called me and said, Kim, you know, so-and-so is here and needs a little bit of gas. Do we have any cards? And I'm like, yes, go to my desk, write, you know, write his name out, fill out an application, and then I will log it. And so it was just to be able to do that real seamlessly is really nice. And it was just you know, a token of like, here's five bucks to help you along. You know what I mean? Just get mm -hmm. you home and get you back tomorrow. Um so, you know, we have the BP cards and then the Kroger cards. And um, so, yeah, I really, and and also the, the, the education and the advocacy, like doing the health fairs and letting people know that we're, that they're there for them, you know, and there's education and, you know, people are coming and they're getting their, their blood tested to see if they have the trait. So it's a lot of that education and advocacy. Well, the Faith Thomas Foundation do appreciate all the nice things that you said about us, even though I like your arm. <laughs> <laughs> I would not do that. <laughs> I wouldn't twist anybody's arm. <laughs> no. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, thank you okay. so much again for joining us tonight. Oh, thank you. I want to echo what Steph said. Thank you. I, I've learned some... Uh, some things about that hematology unit. and uh, Kim, before we uh, sign off, uh, is there anything that you would like to say to our listeners? I can't think of anything. Just, you know, as a, as a social worker, working with patients with a very specific illness, and 98% of them are African-American, I'm always seeking to be humble so that I can learn and never want to like presume to know anything about someone's situation like i really hope that they know that about me and i guess the only way that they can know that about me is just let's just talk and i've been trying to do that more okay just like calling to say hey how are you doing is there anything i can do for you today or did you know about this or i don't know just to, just that um humble approach so that I don't come across as some kind of, I don't know, white knight, I guess. <laughs> as long as you're helping them, you can be a white knight all you want to. <laughs> yeah. I, I agree. I yeah, agree. As as you thank you. Them. Yeah, you yeah. don't have to apologize for being, uh, uh, you know, empathetic to anybody at all, you know. You know, you're doing good work. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. I'm glad you guys are there well, for them. Well, Kim, we hope that you will come on and visit us again. And I do appreciate you. Um, I'm sure that we'll be talking again here soon. With that being said, I thank you. Thank everyone. Peace out. The Faith Thomas Foundation would like to thank you for listening to The Cell. We broadcast 
on WGRN 94.1 FM every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. You can also stream us live on Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. on WGRN 94.1. For more information on the Faith Thomas Foundation, please visit our website, Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is Faith Thomas FDN.